hopes deleted. I have this little stuffed chewy here. Should I just talk to him like he's a listener? That's a great idea. Our listeners are so cute then. I have a couple bobbleheads and two Batman. Seriously, I wish you could see this Chewbacca. I've seen your Chewbacca. The little guy? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen him. So how are we going to actually do this thing? We need to do a podcast. Yeah, we do. I I like your idea of talking to Chewie. Um, I just don't know the words to say. What, okay, so what's a what's a acceptable greeting for human conversation? <laughs> Stop. Hey there. <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. Salutations, compatriots. <laughs> Howdy, sailor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey there, big spenders. <laughs> Let's just run through all the worst possible greetings, and eventually, like, we'll... <laughs> okay, so should I actually try this? I talked to Chewbacca. Yeah. Pretend he's a listener. Let's try it. He's so short. I'm trying to get him higher. Let's let's try it. Talking to him. A box. And plan on stopping and assessing how that sounded, and then okay. do it again. Okay. So you're going to raise my ability to do this by saying we're not going to use this anyway. This is just a right. This, this is not. Real. We're not going to use this. Okay. We're going to talk about it afterward. Hey there, little buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish you guys could just see his little smile. This is Better Worlds, a podcast about geek culture. My name is Trevor. I'm Dustin. And I am Matthew. Are you excited to finally talk about Star Wars? I am. I've really been wanting to talk about this movie with you, and we've totally been killing that. Not in the positive way. This is the longest we've ever gone without discussing something like this. We are going to talk today about Rogue One, and we thought about doing some spoiler-free talk at the beginning, but... We weren't really feeling it, so be warned, there are going to be a lot of spoilers in this episode. Spoiler-tastic. We're just going to jump straight into it. If you haven't seen the movie yet, wait to listen to this. You don't want to listen to it before you've seen it. We're going into the deep end here. Take evasive action! So, what did you guys think of the movie? Oh, we're starting off that serious. Should we... What did you know well, how to? No, that's fine. Um, did you want to start with something else? N- no, it makes sense to start with our our thoughts because this is where we would normally start. Okay. Um, what did you? I think? liked it, and it feels really. I feel really scared going first because we haven't talked about how we feel about it, and so this is like super public. But I I liked this movie a lot, and I think. <sighs> I don't know. I was pretty excited for this because, as I've told you guys before, this is a story that I've been wanting to hear for a while. Um, Since I grew up with watching the original trilogy, um, I've thought it'd be cool to know how they got the Death Star plans. Then they announced that this movie is happening, and I've been excited about this one and only this one (laughs) of the new ones. Um, so I think I went into it already kind of predisposed to like it, not to mention the fact that it was directed by Gareth Edwards, but, um, yeah, I thought it, it worked well and it was fun. There were a couple things that I would have changed, but overall I, I really liked it. At the risk of just sounding like I'm totally riding on the coattails there. 
I generally also liked it. Um, the I, I brought something different to it in that I really like Gareth Edwards as a director. So when they, I can't remember if they announced that he was directing right around when they announced the movie or if that came later, but in my mind, it's kind of all fused together. So my enthusiasm for the movie was bound up with it being a director that I really liked. And overall, I he kept with the track record for me. So I ended up liking uh, the movie for its own merits, but then also because it very clearly had the Gareth Edwards hand at the uh, steering wheel. What's the ship wheel thing? <laughs> Pilot? The helm. Oh, there we go. That was what I wanted. What about you, Trevor? So going back to a year ago, when I was walking into the theater to see The Force Awakens, I tweeted my ranking of Star Wars movies. And then immediately after watching it, I tweeted again new rankings with The Force Awakens included. Well remembered. And so... When I saw Rogue One, people immediately asked, how do you rank this against the other Star Wars movies? Some people asked, how do you rank it? Others went so far as to say, so was this better than all of the prequels and Return of the Jedi and Episode 7? And I said, wow, that's really specific. Um, (laughs) I, I actually find it really hard to rank it directly against, especially the original trilogy movies. Um, but I, I did really like this movie. Um, I would dare say it is a contender for the best Star Wars movie. Wow. That's, that's bold. It surprised me to think that. I felt like I was bold in my ranking, but that's, that's really bold. I, I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying it could be a contender. I'm not saying that you're a bad person for saying that, just to be clear. (laughs) I could get behind that same sentiment, though, Trevor. Yeah. And it's... So the original trilogy, when I talk about which one's my favorite, it's it's not as simple as this one's my favorite, it's the best, period. I know that A New Hope is the most important because it came first and none of the rest would exist without it. I know that The Empire Strikes Back is the best one. From what perspective like technically Uh, technically emotionally and just in terms of its stature in public thought it's it's seen as the best one and there's not uh yeah because groupthink is never wrong (laughs) in in terms of composition and pacing and cinematography and the reveal and everything it's Mm -hmm. it's generally seen as the best star wars movie and i have no argument against that right but return of the jedi is my favorite of the original trilogy yeah i think that's an important distinction between like favorite doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best but it's the one that you like the best you know right so so original trilogy i say a new hope is the most important the empire strikes back is the best and return of the jedi is my favorite um so what I should have said before is I guess Rogue One is a contender for my favorite Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it beats out Return of the Jedi, even though for a lot of people that's their least favorite of the original trilogy. But um, it's it's good is my point. I'm going to yeah. throw in that actually I pretty much agree with Trevor 100% on that assessment. 
Um, wow. In that, I, I Return of the Jedi is my favorite out of the original trilogy as well. Um, I did want to actually throw out as a metric, because I was thinking about this earlier, um, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I was thinking that really you can maybe use as a metric of success for the movies are, would this be a good movie if it wasn't a Star Wars movie? And that's kind of hard to mentally separate, but just like if you try to filter out like you saw this and it wasn't connected to a larger film franchise, would this be a good movie? Yeah, that's a good thought. Um, Can I list where, or can I give my ranking of where it is? Go for it. Um, So when we were watching the uh, assault on the beach and the AT-ATs came in, which Trevor, they were AT-ATs, right? That's not some kind of new... They were AT-ACTs. Oh, man. All-terrain armored cargo transports. Cargo transports. See, I jokingly in our uh, planning note or whatever, I listed them as ATMATs, like mostly armored transports, <laughs> but because <laughs> there was that one that had the whole. There's one more reason to fear the ACTs now. <laughs> the the hole was just the like the cargo pod was out of it. Yeah, see I didn't I didn't know that. I thought maybe they were just in construction or like they were prototypes or something. But regardless, the fact that whenever the AT-ATs came in, I was like, oh man, it has AT-ATs, it automatically is in the top three of my favorites. And that was I was joking to myself, but then as I was thinking as we were watching the movie, I was thinking, actually this act might be in my top three favorites. Um because growing up, I watched Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back the most of the three original trilogy. And so I, depending on the day that you ask me, I will either list Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back as my favorite. I love the Battle of Hoth, and I pretended to be AT-ATs all the time as a kid, which is funny <laughs> because I think, Trevor, you pretended to destroy them with yes, yours. the pine trees across the street were... <laughs> were AT-ATs and my bottle rocket was one of those laser turrets. <laughs> That's really funny. So we're like diametrically opposed. No, did I say bottle rocket? Stomp rockets. My, I didn't play bottle rockets. Oh, stomp rocket. Yeah. That yeah. makes, I, I feel better about your parents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they didn't give you bottle rockets. Uh, but anyway, so those are my favorites depending on the day, the order one and two. Um, and I think that Rogue One might be my third favorite Star Wars movie. Not saying that I dislike A New Hope. It's just I I really like this worked really well for me. I think a, a large part of the appeal was that it was a a story that I was anticipating, but also B that it was our first glimpse. Well, okay, my first glimpse of a Star Wars story outside of the uh, Star Wars saga following the Skywalkers. I realize that there are lots of stories outside of that that story arc uh, in the extended universe and even, I think, in probably the Clone Wars and Rebels. But I have not engaged with those. So this was cool to see a story that takes place in the Star Wars universe, um, but with mostly new characters. Yeah, and the Lucasfilm story team is doing a really good job of fleshing out the universe and tying things together. So for instance, in this movie, Saw Gerrera is actually a character from the Clone Wars cartoon. Oh, 
I didn't know that. And he is now going to appear in the show Rebels as well. So it's they're they're being very intentional about the way they they build stuff up and tie it together. That's encouraging. So, Dustin, did it bother you at all that the ATACTs looked different when you saw them? No, because I know that this is earlier um, than Empire. And like I said before, I thought maybe they were prototypes or they were under construction but were incomplete and they just threw them at the the assault team because they needed to stomp out the the resistance here. Um, okay. And so, so it didn't bother you at all that they were being blasted apart by the X wings and stuff. Cause you thought maybe they were just right. Yeah. Developed. Right. And like that one that buckled because the cargo hold, I guess was open. I just looked at that as like, it's, it doesn't have, they're not fully armored. Also the X wings weren't used on Hoth. And so I thought, well, maybe X wing blasters are more powerful than the uh, snow speeders. Right. I would think a starfighter. Um, cannon would have to be more powerful. Right. And so that also didn't, it didn't even register that. Well, okay. Yeah, it did register. I thought, oh, X-Wings are more powerful than snow speeders. That's, yeah. that's the extent of my thought on that. I, I thought about it, but it didn't bother me. Right. It made, it made sense. And, and I think you absolutely are correct that these were basically sort of being used for construction projects and, they mobilized once the attack started and they saw what was happening. Yeah. Also, so in the, whenever we watch the trailers and, uh, the person fires the shoulder rock, uh, shoulder mounted rocket. I remember, I think it was Trevor tweeted something like, sure would have been nice to have those on Hoth or something like that. Um, because but in the trailer you don't see the result of that rocket you just assume like the head moves off to the side and uh you assume that it did damage but as the movie plays out the head moves off to the side and then it just looks back and blasts at them like it didn't do a single thing so that was yeah fun that was that was nice so what uh i've been droning on what are some things that you guys liked about it i liked vader at the very end when uh, they had him boarding the ship, chasing the plans down. I feel like that's, uh, they've done a lot with, especially in the original trilogy, because that's where he has 95% of his screen time. Um, They show you that like everyone is really afraid of him and he does uh, reserved acts that show you like okay he chokes someone in the middle of a conference then lets them live or like might kill them and people are kind of afraid of that but this shows you like uh, man he's it portrays him as a force of nature that people should just be utterly terrified about and like i appreciated being able to see that and kind of one of the thoughts i had after i saw revenge of the sith (laughs) um many moons ago was like i really want there to be a star wars 3.5 where you just see vader building his reputation across the galaxy i think especially for the story of vader this movie actually acts very well as a bridge 
between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy, because at the end of the prequel trilogy, you've seen him severely wounded and then built back up, but you don't really see him do anything after that. And then when you first see him in Rogue One, you get him in the back to tank and he, it's very reminiscent of when we saw him in episode three, he doesn't have all of his armor on and everything. He's just in this vulnerable sanitary medical sort of situation. And then we get to see him talking with somebody and intimidating them. And then finally at the end, we actually see him at full force, just absolutely blowing these rebels away. So that makes a really nice bridge. Um, I, I know some people were really dissatisfied by the connection between episodes three and four, and this really bridges that gap. True. Yeah, it did a good job of bridging. Um, I want to talk a little more about that end scene in a minute, but um, Trevor, the when they when they went to Vader's base on that planet, I don't think it was labeled. Was that supposed to be Mustafar? It was Mustafar. Did it say that, and I missed that? It did not say it. This was one of the few planets that wasn't labeled. And one of the few plants that we had seen before. But I think that's so interesting that they, uh, th- like, I don't know, that suggests so much about his psychology that I, I'm surprised they didn't put that in there. This is one of those things that was a, a concept when they were making the original trilogy and they decided that either it wasn't worth doing or they couldn't pull it off well. And they, so they just kind of tucked it away and then pulled it back out now. Hmm. It wasn't Mordor? No. <laughs> um, um, the thing I liked about Vader's uh, butt-kicking scene was it seems like through the original trilogy, he projects menace, and everyone is really afraid of him, like what uh, Matthew was saying. Um, but he doesn't do a whole lot to actively instill that fear. Um, and I... I mean, a lot of it's due to the nature of special effects at the time. But here, I feel, is the first time that we could see Darth Vader, not Anakin Skywalker necessarily, but Darth Vader um, actively doing, actively instilling menace. Right. Um, like, there was nothing they could do. And the fear that they had when they were running away and like, oh, help us, help us, like, and take this. And it was... It it was really cool yeah. to see. And the fact that like everyone was freaking out so much about that, like that just goes with my conception of Vader suppo- kind of supposing to be a force of nature in that like it's a it's a tornado heading towards you. You can panic, but you are going yeah. to die. You are all going to die. <laughs> yeah. And the fact is most of the people who have seen that have not lived. And so part of the reason we haven't seen it on film is that we've been dealing with characters who have very good plot armor. Mm. (laughs) And this is the first, this is the first star Wars movie that has been centered around people who do not have that same plot armor. Yeah. And it's almost like in the original trilogy, he's already built up that reputation and, um, so he doesn't have to show his force as much because everyone knows what he's capable of and they steer clear and they obey. Right. Right. However, this is like the first time and he's just, you know, asserting his authority and showing what he's, what he can do and what, what what he will do. So two, two things I wanted to throw in one, and this is about the only extra movie 
uh, engagement I've had with Star Wars, because I'm a Marvel Comics fan, there is a limited run that they did uh, for the past couple years by um, an author that I really like named Kieran Gillen, who has done a couple other uh, runs on things that have u- are usually just excellent. But he's been doing a Darth Vader comic through Marvel that is actually set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and does a an excellent job of um, giving kind of the moments I was saying that I wanted to see, like, showing why Vader is terrifying, why uh, the galaxy is rightly afraid of him. Um, so this kind of, like, conformed to that comic run in my mind, and I liked that there was consonance between those two uh differing portions of i guess the expanded universe but um yeah totally solid recommendation if you want a thoroughly enjoyable exploration of his character i would recommend reading that comic run um the second thing i wanted to bring up was that you know if you've seen the movie you know that when he's boarded boarded the place there's a bunch of troopers staring at a spot of darkness and the shot goes kind of quiet and then his lightsaber just comes on and he's standing there um one i think that's a very vader move like he's he knows that they're there and they're just waiting for him and he just does it solely to terrify everyone but then that also uh kind of links back towards like a gareth edwards style shot if you've seen godzilla he introduces godzilla in a similar point um during a big monster fight and i liked the like, oh, I could see that's a Gareth, total Gareth Edwards move there. Yeah, like a kind of a slow reveal. Right, of a of, like power being unveiled that is going to decimate what it's aimed at. Yeah. There was a pretty similar shot with the ATACTs. Oh, yeah, you're right. And in The Empire Strikes Back, they had come through the mist as well, but. Yeah. Uh, not to directly compare them, but it was similar, but um, very, very effectively intimidating. Yeah. So anyway, if there had been, if the rest of the movie had been utterly poorly executed and they had just had that scene, <laughs> that scene at the end, I probably still would have been at least marginally pleased with the movie because of that. But as we've noted, there, the whole thing was on that qual- level of quality. More, okay, more or less, the whole thing was on that level of quality. I'll say that. Yeah. How did you feel about his pun? Be careful not to choke on your aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. I didn't... Actually, now that you brought it up is the point at which I fully realized the pun. That's pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard more complaints about that line than anything else in the movie. Really, but it was it was completely in character for him that I don't know why people think that was a departure. People like to complain, <laughs> which I will do later. But, <laughs> um, yeah, and so the, I guess if we're still talking about things we like, and I've already mm-hmm. harped on um, liking Gareth Edwards quite a bit. Uh, that was one of the big selling points of the movie for me, A, that he was the director, but B, I think in this maybe even more so than some of the other things I like about him, you saw his 
talent come out for how the shots were framed and using just what sounds like basic composition in shots, just putting one thing in front of another thing to convey the sense of scale. So, uh, like, for instance, there's one where you see a TIE fighter in front of um, a Star Destroyer, and then that's coming out of a shadow, and then you see that that's in front of the Death Star and that the shadow is cast by the... Uh, dish that shoots the lasers that they're mounting in there and like that whole thing is just like one sense of scale built on another sense of scale built on another sense of scale that really helps draw you into the universe in a way that I feel like uh, we haven't had that level of depth portrayed cinematically before so that's something that I liked a lot what did you guys think of the way it was shot well one thing I appreciated about that shot is that they used it in the trailer, but they didn't totally spoil it. They only used a little bit of it. And they they did that with a few other things in the trailer. And then even in one of the extended preview things from the iTunes version of A New Hope that I watched after seeing the movie in theaters, they had the line uh, where K2SO starts to say, I have a bad feeling about this. But they actually changed the line in that preview so that the joke wouldn't be spoiled in the movie. And I, I appreciated that. There is something to be said for trailers not giving away everything and then not not like just blowing the best jokes in the trailer, which happens with 90% of comedies. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And this in this movie in particular, there were a lot of things from the trailers that they were either – in some cases, they were careful not to spoil. And then in other cases – it seemed like it was just a a departure from what had been planned. Were you guys thrown by any of that? I am not entirely... I'm not... It doesn't surprise me when things in the trailer are different from things in the movie because the trailer is a tool to get people... And, uh, excited about the movie you're using different clips and things and putting them together to create some kind of short story to um, engage potential audiences um, and so when those things don't play out the way I expect in the movie um, it's not it's not a super big surprise I'm, I'm just going along with the flow of the movie I know that you're talking about there were a couple scenes that were either different whenever you got to that shot in the movie or that that scene in the trailer is just completely absent from the movie. Um, and honestly, I hadn't seen a trailer in a while, so it didn't affect me too much. Did you watch the trailers, Matthew? I did watch the trailers. Um, I don't <laughs> recall all the details on them enough that the differences bugged me other than maybe the line from Jin or so about like this is a rebellion I rebel oh, or yeah. something like that 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 wasn't in there I did note that and thought that was weird but I also knew they had the reshoots that they did on it so I thought well that was just something that went with the whole change tone thing they were going for yeah, and I don't know how many of these were differences from the reshoots or even just 
things that they put in the trailer because it was good for the trailer. I know that Betsy was really upset that the line I rebel got cut. I was not sad. That was actually the one thing that I didn't like in the trailers. I thought it fell a little bit flat. It felt a little bit cheesy almost in the trailer. Yeah, I agree. It was, that was the most cringeworthy line in the trailers. Like it kind of worked, but then when I thought about it in the context of the movie, I didn't think it was going to really work very well. It's almost like too reductionistic of saying like, well, the rebellion is just about rebellion (laughs) and not so much about having actual political goals and changes they want to uh, see affected in the galaxy. It's just like, no, I'm rebelling because that's the thing to do. It made her seem almost too teen angsty. (laughs) Yeah. One other thing that stood out to me more than the missing I rebel line was in the first teaser, they had a voiceover from Saw Gerrera that said, what will you do when they catch you? What will you do if they break you? If you continue to fight, what will you become? And that really stuck with me from the trailer. And I was really curious what the context was going to be. And now I, I don't know if I'll ever know what the context (laughs) was. Not, not, uh, not only will you not know what the context was, but that seems completely different from his character in the movie that we saw. Right, because he is the fighter. Right, it doesn't seem like he would ever say anything like that. So that is kind of confusing. I hadn't thought of that. So maybe that's why it's not there. They realized that it just didn't fit the way they wanted to build the character. And his character was kind of weird for me overall. And I could have sworn in the trailers he didn't have crazy hair like he did in the movie. But I don't know if that was like character reworking or just supposed to be like earlier time period stuff that got cut. And like him being in there... that was maybe one of the parts of the movie that felt weird to me. What about it? Um, it felt like maybe they had originally intended for him to do more. Like when I saw the movie and you see that he's in there for the length of time that he is and then ends up uh, getting killed during the uh, weapon, the Death Star firing its single reactor shot. My thought was like, huh, they killed him off relatively like i was surprised by how little he was in there with given how much he was in the trailers and how much like it felt they were relying on forrest whitaker as a selling point for the movie yeah that was shocking to me as well how quickly he went so another shot missing from the movie that was in the trailer is when the the tie fighter comes up as she's walking out on the platform to realign the satellite do you remember that in the trailer yeah, vaguely. vaguely. Okay. Well, it's a pretty cool shot. It looks like she's about to just stand down a TIE fighter. Um, and that was one thing that I really wanted to know why it was cut. And I did find the reason. Um, the way that was going to be resolved by an X-Wing flying by and blasting the TIE fighter away. Not surprising. And they decided that it was... They decided that it was too similar to the earlier scene with the ATACT. Mm. So they cut it, which I, I respect that decision. Yeah. So I'm going to throw out a question that kind of goes with the things you liked. Who was your favorite character? I can volunteer mine if you want to think about it. Yeah, go ahead and you go first. Mine is... Well, he asked the question. Yeah. Though. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, I just didn't want to like put you on the spot if you hadn't thought 
thought it through because I have an answer developed. <laughs> well, it was part of the. Re- I'm debating right now, and so I need some time. I'm thinking about it too. Okay, what was your favorite character, Matthew? My favorite character is almost a tie um, between Chirrut, the uh, blind ex—not really ex-monk, but—and um, maybe he's he's only slightly beat out by K2SO. But that is hard for me to. De- <laughs> K2SO being played by Alan Tudyk, Alan Tudyk of Firefly fame with my undying love for Firefly. Uh, I can't divorce him from that in some way, so I think I might not be an entirely impartial judge of character in this regard. But I do feel like any time K2SO spoke or said pretty much anything, he always was stealing the scene. K2 was definitely the funniest. Um I would have to say that I liked Gunny, which his actual character name I think is Brave or Baze. Oh, Baze. Baze, that's it, Baze. Uh, so I liked Baze's M60 blaster, essentially. <laughs> and so I feel like with me liking Jane Cobb from Firefly, I should like Baze or Gunny that I affectionately called him. <laughs> um, I... I would say that for me, my favorite characters are between uh, Force Samurai, aka Chirrut, or Jin. Um, I was really doubtful about Chirrut uh, from the trailers. I have a weird um, annoyance with the. Okay, so it's like this. In The Hobbit, it was very clear that Peter Jackson has a love affair with elves, and the elves stole the show from the dwarves, and the dwarves were supposed to have their their shining moment, kicking butt in the movie, um, but those elves came in and rescued them where they didn't need to be rescued. So those dirty elves shouldn't have even been in the movie, but Peter Jackson obviously loves them and throws them <laughs> in where they don't belong. I was thinking the same thing about this movie when I saw Chirrut uh, in the trailers. I was thinking, there don't need to be Jedi in here. In fact, it doesn't make sense for there to be Jedi. And why does he have a stick instead of a lightsaber? Now, all of that is obviously cleared up by the movie. He isn't a Jedi. And that basically answers all of those questions. I liked how he just relied on the Force to... Um, direct him in everything that he he did. Um, I liked his faith in the Force um, to do that. Same, and it was it was really that was a really surprising thing for me to go from man, this guy looks like I'm going to hate it, and to go to he might be my favorite character. Um, and I feel like he was an emotional anchor for the team in the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, I I was talking with someone about how kind of the the difference between Chirrut and a a Jedi, and it was that Chirrut doesn't actively use the Force to do anything, and rather he just listens to the Force and does what the Force like guides him to do, which is yeah, it, it's just really cool, uh, a different dynamic than what we see. Um, 
it's more like he is an agent of the force rather than the force being his tool, if that makes sense. It felt like he respected the force almost more than any character I had seen in, with the exception of some of probably the big, big guns who are Jedi. But like you, right. it felt like you had, you got that sense of reverence for the force and not like just viewing it as, uh, it felt like sometimes Jedi, especially in the prequel stuff, viewed it as a tool, which I guess you can take that view, but viewed it as an object to be doing, uh, and maybe if some of that's just the fact that they fought using it a lot, but right. And I could see like, if you did that every day, maybe that's the mentality you fall into. Whereas it, it, yeah, like you said, Jarrett had a lot more reverence for trying to do what he felt the force's will was. Right. He, he was a character just really worked for me. The story of the prequels is largely the story of how the Jedi became proud and tried to use the force to build up military might and exert their own will. But Chirrut is very much a man who has surrendered his own will to the will of the force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When he first comes on the screen, he's talking to, to Jin in the marketplace and he senses the Kyber crystal. And that was that scene right there. They made it clear that they are very much willing to bring the wills and the kyber crystals into the movies. And so that was, tell us what those are. The scene itself was not necessarily one of my favorite parts of the movie, but I did like seeing those things brought onto the screen because they've been part of the star Wars mythos for a long time. And yet we've never heard them mentioned in the movies. And the wills are actually, well, the wills and kyber crystals are both concepts from very early in the development of the Star Wars universe. And originally, George Lucas framed the the screenplays that he was writing as being taken from the Journal of the Wills. And the wills was sort of this, it was this big concept of sort of an omniscient observer or narrator and it was somewhat synonymous with the force as well uh, but that concept gradually morphed over time and uh, now it's being brought back into the universe and the way that the story team is guiding the development of the universe now it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with that and kyber crystals the same thing they've been this concept that has changed a lot over time um we knew that they were used to build lightsabers. We knew that they were used to build the Death Star. And it's it's great that those are both still part of the, the canon. Uh, but again, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah. Uh, so Chirrut was one of my favorites. Jin is the other. Um, oh, I was going to say one other thing about Chirrut. Oh, go ahead. The first he's got his catchphrase and the first time he says it, he says the force is with me and I am with the force. And he only says that one time. And then later when he starts repeating himself and repeating this phrase, he says, what is it? I am one with the force and the force is with me. That sounds right. I can't remember which way it is. I think that's how it is. Yeah. And it was, 
it was interesting to me that it changed from the first time he said it from I am with the force to I am one with the force. Maybe I just misheard him the first time. Maybe I shouldn't read too much into that <laughs> until I confirm it. Yeah. But it was, it was interesting. I don't know if it meant anything. It's something that I noted uh, along those lines as well as after uh, Chirrut dies, Gunny starts saying that same prayer, but he starts it at the force is with me. I am one with the force. Whereas Chirrut always said, I am one with the force. The force is with me. I, I thought that was an interesting um, change in order. I, I don't know if that has any significance either. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to detract from that, but I think that's that's something just almost more of a thought to let linger because, like I said, I don't know if I have a good response to that right at this moment. Um, there was something that I wanted to bring up that's bringing a little more outside uh, comparison than straight with stuff in the movie, but um, I am a fan of the Halo series, and actually, I think... Well, should we... Should we stick with talking about characters for a little bit? Oh, we can. I just want to make sure there's a... Okay. Yeah. Trevor hasn't had a chance to talk about his favorite either. Oh, that's right. He got very quiet. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I don't know that I have a favorite character for this movie. I thought that they were all surprisingly well-developed, to be honest. Um, I do really like the interplay between Cassian and Jin because these are two people who have come to a very dark place, but they've had such different paths. And despite how different their paths are, they, they've both come to this point where they're in a really dark place, but then they both find something, uh, a greater purpose that is worth giving themselves for. And, um, so that was interesting to me. I, I think that Jin's arc is really effective from the, from the first moment when we see her running away from the shuttle uh, as a child and then meeting with the rebels and, you know, we came into the movie. Well, I guess not. I don't know what I'm talking about now. No, I think your point's accurate though. You're kind of pointing out that she has the most well-developed, uh, I don't know if ter- <laughs> the the arc is probably the best term for it that you've got. She ends up, doing an about face and like instead of running away from the danger runs directly into the heart of as much danger as you could possibly get and in right i've i've heard people ask why she made such an about face they didn't think it seemed very believable Uh, but her entire character arc crystallizes around the moment on jetta when she meets up with saw and you see this tension that there is between them. Neither of them really trusts the other, even though they were so close in the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he still believes in this dream, and she just doesn't care at all anymore. Um, he's asking her how she can stand to see Imperial flags rain across the galaxy, and she just says it doesn't matter if you don't look up. She's just trying to ignore it. But then when she sees the message from her father and even though he doesn't know that this message is going to get to her, his top priority in the message is to, to speak to her. Um, and then as he speaks and lays out this important message that he has for the rebellion, she finds out that all of these worst thoughts that she had about what her father is doing and who he is 
none of those worst things that she's been thinking are true. And he's actually been working this entire time against the thing that they have him building. And, um, even the way that scene is cut, I think is very effective. The way it cuts between her and the hologram of her father. And then it's cutting to these other places. It shows the destruction. It shows Krennic just gloating as the weapon is fired. And there's a lot of juxtaposition there that really shows where a lot of the characters are standing. And it, it really shows that complete pivot on Jin's part as well, where she walks in, she walks into that base thinking, I just want to get this done so I can get on with my life. And she walks out knowing that she has a purpose and there's something that she has to fight for. Yeah. And she's really motivated by, it seems like everything after that is motivated by her love for her dad. Um, and wanting to see his, uh, his plans and his life work completed. Um, it, it's his plan that the rebels would be able to exploit the weakness in the death star. And so she's working to make that uh, a reality. Yeah. I think she had to go through some of all of that to see the value in it because, you know, if I, if I put myself in her shoes, you know, my, (laughs) my dad told me to run away and, um, when some guys showed up to coerce him into building a super death weapon and then my mom was killed there, I, I'd be totally screwed up and would have some probably negative emotions all around um, my whole family because of that. But I think that that symbolic journey back through her like surrogate father, then through her to her father, and then like was all there to recontextualize how she saw her father and then like, Oh, I get what he was doing now. And I mean, as the audience, we're in the same boat because we learn everything along with her. Yeah. And, uh, one of the reasons I like Jen is the degree to which she ends up doing all of this kind of self sacrificially. Um, I could see a lot of people would, if they find out that you have to go to Scarif and there's this uh, force field blocking you and the, this is really dangerous, that they would just give up and be like, like half of the rebellion senators would. <laughs> and she doesn't give up. She climbs that uh, archive tower and, and you know, it's perilous, all of it. And she just continually, continually overcomes the next challenge that she's faced with and as a shout out to both her and cassian and maybe a lesser degree k2so i feel like in a lesser movie when it gets to the point where people realize we can't escape we're going to die here type setup people despair they spend too much time like delving into their emotions i think when they realize that at one point there there's a little bit like you see it that realization go across their faces and then they just kind of switch into we have to get this done and they're focused on that. Like they don't uh, they don't struggle against that level of the hand that's been dealt to them. They just know they there's one winning play for the game and that means they're going to 
have to rely on like another team member to carry it out. Right. And Jin finds herself more and more each step of the way too. Cause at the beginning yeah. of the movie, she was living under another alias. She doesn't want anybody to know who she is. And then at the top of that tower, when Krennic comes up to stop her, she says, I'm Jin Erso. And that, that alone is a huge moment for her to finally be willing to declare who she is. Cause she finally has really found herself through this mission. Right. You also see it in how she engages with the rebellion. We find out from saw that she was his best soldier, um, at 16. Uh, but then she, she's left behind and she just kind of re- walks away from that life. Um, and then, so when we see her in the movie, she's just this kind of reluctant player in this uh, mission. And then as it goes along, she becomes more and more pivotal and eventually is the key driving force. Like she's coming up with the plans or I might have the details a little bit wrong since it's, I've only seen it one time, but um, in my mind it, it, she's gradually taking on this mantle more and more and uh, becoming more of a leader um, more of a heroic figure, I guess. At the very moment when the high council of the Republic Alliance is just completely crumbling with indecision, she's the one to actually know what they need to do. Can we talk about that scene for a little bit? Yeah. Um, So I want to provide a little bit of background before we jump fully into that scene. Go ahead. I remember the first time I read a Star Wars novel and then went to talk with somebody about it afterwards. And I told them I liked it, but I was surprised and a little put off by how much politics was in it. And the guy said, Star Wars has always been about politics. What are you talking about? And this was before any of the prequels had come out. Um, And then when the prequels came out, people complained that they were too much about politics. And I thought it's kind of deja vu. That's what I said about this novel. And then somebody pointed out to me, the whole thing is really about politics. And one thing that I loved most about this movie was the way it showed how the politics worked between the, the prequels and the original trilogy because in the prequels you see the senators just kind of beginning to come together to resist what they see happening. And you see these seeds of the rebel Alliance with Bail Organa and Mon Mothma and some others. And in the original trilogy, we have this military Alliance and we don't know how they got from point A to point B, but this movie really shows us that even in that time right before A New Hope, they were still largely looking for a political solution to the problem they faced with the Empire. And when they first send Jin out, they tell her, we need to get your father to come testify before the Senate. So they're they're not trying to steal the plans. They're not trying to attack a base. They just want to extract this one individual who can go and tell the Senate look at what your government is doing. Do you think this is right? We need to, we need to rein this in, rein in this man's power and bring things back to the way they should be. Um, And then they realize at some point in the movie that they're past that. And most of them just kind of despair and decide they're not going to do anything. Jin 
goes off on her mission and then they kind of realize that they have this moment that they can actually take hold of and strike a real blow. So they, they do kind of give up on the political solution in this movie. And that's why we have in a new hope. It's this military effort instead of a political effort. And we also hear in some of the opening scenes of a new hope, we hear that the emperor has just disbanded the Senate and we, we don't really know what that means when we're first watching a new hope. Um, but in the context of seeing all these movies, that was a really big deal. And maybe a week beforehand, maybe even hours beforehand, um, the Senate was still trying to work or certain members of the Senate were still trying to bring testimony against the emperor that he was building this weapon. Uh, but once they get the plans, he, he takes apart the Senate and that route is not available to them anymore. Yeah. So I wish that I had watched, um, the revenge of the Sith before watching this movie. It's been so long since I've seen it. I didn't remember all the politics stuff. And so watching this movie, I was kind of thinking, man, it's a miracle that the rebellion ever won. Um, from the attack on Edu, uh, whenever the X-Wing squadron is coming in for their, uh, strafing run, um, was it K2 that gets on the radio and says that there are rebel forces? No, it was, uh, Bodhi gets on the radio, says there's rebel forces on the platform. Do not engage. And then the rebel radio operator back on base says, Oh, they've already started their run. We can't stop them. I thought you got to be kidding me. You have to have some kind of way to communicate with your pilots. What, what is, what kind of show are you running here? So that didn't really um, give me much confidence in their capabilities at that point. And then in the scene when Jen is bringing this testimony to the Senate or senators or the high council and half of them are wanting to surrender, I was like, what is this? This is not the rebellion that I know. Um, They would all say we need to strike and um, let's use this information. I... I didn't realize that this is before they've finally resolved themselves to a military um, approach to dealing with the empire. Yeah. And it really isn't the rebellion that we know from a new hope because there, there are a lot more people in that room. And I think a lot of them fell away at that point. Yeah. And so this movie also raised my esteem of the Mon Calamari a lot because they were the first ones, once they (laughs) heard word that they were making their attack on uh, Scarif, they were right there in it and supporting them. And I thought, man, these guys are really cool. Uh, Before having just seen them in uh, Return of the Jedi, I was just like, well, Admiral Ackbar's kind of funny looking and he just sits in a chair. What does he really do? Um, But... (laughs) I don't know who this admiral is. I, I can't remember his name. Radis. Admiral Radis, way to go. Way to just jump right in and uh, support the cause. And I don't know. It raised my esteem for them a lot. Yeah, I enjoyed the scrappiness of uh, that. It as a, I don't know. It added a good flavor tech, good flavor to the movie. But then I think that probably helps too. I would imagine characterize the alien race overall. Well, I guess not alien race, but the 
the race overall. Um, I'm sure Trevor probably could speak more to how they're portrayed in extended media. They're squids. That was very helpful. Amphibians. <laughs> Amphibians, yeah. Um, well, I mean, are you asking a specific question? Uh, maybe just very generally, like, it does that, the way they were portrayed in that movie, line up with how they are supposed to be overall in the universe. I kind of, whenever I saw that scene, I had the sense, oh, these guys are kind of like the Klingons. They're ready for a fight. They're going to jump in and support. I, th- and, I thought I mean, Turians, like Mass Effect. Turians, yeah. I, I don't think they're as warlike as either of those races. The Turians aren't warlike. They're just militarily disciplined. The Klingons are warlike. The Klingons are warlike, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're as militarily oriented. I could be wrong. Uh, they certainly have nice ships, and that ends up being a big part of why they're so important to the Alliance. Because they're the only shipyard, really, that's turning out these really big capital ships and contributing them to that cause. So they're like the French and the American Revolution. I mean, that's a big part of their influence. I mean, there are certainly some strong military minds like Admiral Akbar and Admiral Radis. Yeah. I guess I don't have a whole lot to say. I think they're awesome, but I don't have a whole lot to add. <laughs> there's some episodes in the Clone Wars series where there's like underwater wars i think you answered the question i just wanted to know if the portrayal was consistent with like if or was that something they kind of cooked up for the movie and i get the impression that you're well there i mean they didn't really cook it up for this movie because it was in return of the jedi as well uh in terms of background i wouldn't say they're warlike i would say they are a people who are willing to work for peace um through military means. I mean, what am I trying to say? They, they're not a people who value war. There are people who value winning. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like they're militarily competent, but it's not like that's their first choice. Right. They're not like Klingons where they, they're fighting for fighting sake. And because that's integral to their culture. Right. They're not, they're not excited to go win the next war. They're wanting to, bring an end to the fighting Mm, yeah fair enough and and the klingon reference in my mind was not a perfect metaphor it was just it was a specific uh episode in star trek the next generation where there is a romulan warbird confronting the enterprise and then uh a klingon bird of prey decloak like two or three of them decloak and it it's that kind of sentiment of we're here we've got your back and um we're ready to help that it reminded me of so what did you think of the Hammerhead Corvette? That was interesting. Um, that didn't feel like it had enough thrust to be able to accomplish what it did. It's cool that it did, so I'm not complaining. Well, because that was a disabled Star Destroyer, so it, it's not like it could counter any thrust at all. They did a great job with that last scene with the all the ships moving around and just the choreography graphing the choreographing of all that um and i was fully just excited during that like i wanted to see those two star destroyers crash into each other i (laughs) want i was just (laughs) you were just waiting for that the whole time i was waiting like this is going to happen and it's going to be awesome and it was maybe even a little better than i thought it was going to be because they like essentially beheaded a star destroyer (laughs) yeah 
I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, those ships do have big fat engines on the back, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. That brings me to something that I didn't like about the movie. Well, I was going to say one more thing about the hammerhead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, did you guys see what happened to the hammerhead? No. no. It totally went down with the Star Destroyers. Okay. I kind of assumed that that was what was going to happen. Um, it's kind of a kamikaze Corvette. Yeah. You can still see it stuck on the side of the Star Destroyer as they crash into the gate. And I, I would imagine the crew knew that's what was going to happen as soon as they got that call. Oh yeah. For the rebellion. But yeah, I, I loved the space battle and that's a big part of why I think this is probably going to be one of my favorite star Wars movies. I really like the, the big space battles like that. I'm nodding my head emphatically. Yes. That was a good part. I, um, go ahead. That was, I was just offering agreement. There's nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'd like to talk a little bit about some things that I was less than satisfied with. The list is not super long. Um, but one thing, okay. So one thing I liked about the movie is that it explained the glaringly obvious, um, what has seemed like an engineering incompetency of the, of the empire in, uh, having this, exhaust vent that you could shoot a torpedo down and then blow the whole thing up. I was like, goodness, they, they don't have competent engineers in the empire. This movie explained that as it was, um, kind of a sabotage, uh, that was laid in by the designer of the death star. He wanted it to be destroyed. I thought that was cool. I love that. Cause I, I spent the entire movie up until, that point thinking how in the world are they going to make us like Galen? I mean, he built the death star. How can we possibly like this guy? And then in the message, he describes how he built in the flaw. And I was just like, yes, yeah, that was- I love this guy. I love that. We now have a canon reason that when people try to say, Oh, that was a mighty convenient. We can say, well, nope, it is part of the story. Yeah, that was really cool. However, in my notes that I have on the movie, I have written, out with the old imperial design flaw, in with the new. Right when we got to Scarif and we saw that force field gate, I thought, why doesn't someone just, you know, shoot it a bunch and destroy that thing? That seems like an... Why would you have something so unprotected being the central part of your uh, force field defenses? They should have the a shield generator, like on um, indoor or something. And... I've got two reasons for you. Well, hold on. And so then, sure enough, that design flaw, in my perspective, was exploited in the movie to bring down the, the shields. So I thought, oh, that's still the the Empire is a little bit short-sighted and doesn't think things through. Hubris. Go ahead, Trevor. Okay, there's a lot of traffic in and out of the planet. It's not like on Indoor where they had this static thing that they needed to protect. Um, Scarif is a very active base. There are things coming in and out and they don't want to drop the entire planetary shield every time something needs to get through. That would be a much bigger problem because then stuff could come in from the other side of the planet while the gate was open. Yes. So instead they have this gate and to be fair, it takes two star destroyers crashing into it to bring it down. They were 
absolutely bombarding this thing before that point in the battle, and they couldn't do a thing against it. I did not notice them absolutely bombarding it. I I noticed a few shots of someone. They the uh, Y wings dropped some bombs on it. Maybe a couple shots of X wings strafing it, but it didn't seem like they were concentrating any particular effort on destroying that. I thought they really emphasized that they were oh. focusing as much firepower as they could on it. You didn't have a moment where Admiral Radis said, focus all firepower on that gate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I thought it was made clear. Yeah. Which reminds me about another thing from the fight. Did you guys catch the Red 5 references at all? Yeah. Yeah. So at some point in the battle, they say, like, where are you going, Red 5? And um, right after that, somebody says, I, this might not be the exact quote, but they say, Red five, I need your help. And that was just another nice kind of call forward to what was going to happen in a new hope. And obviously that guy gets blown away, call signs available, but (laughs) having that little reference there, I need your help. I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, also things from the movie. I, I love the way they had red leader and gold leader. And blue leader. At first, I didn't. Well, <laughs> I'm talking about having the same leaders oh, okay. from A New Hope, uh, and I, I was really curious how they did that. It was actually unused archival footage that they. Oh, really? Pulled up, yeah. Oh, yep. I thought that was CGI stuff. Nope. Which is another thing I didn't like. Actual footage. That's okay. That is really cool. That was pretty cool. Speaking of CGI, <laughs> actually, I'm not done with the gate. We got ten minutes. Okay. We'll go on. What do you have to say about the gate? Okay, so in my defense, I thought, well, maybe the gate doesn't actually control the force field. Bringing the gate down wouldn't do anything. It would just seal it up. But then the Star Destroyers destroyed it. So that's all I have to say. So CJ characters. Uh, They were not my favorite. Yeah, Tarkin was creepy at first, and then I feel like he was done better in later scenes. But he got a little uncanny valley for me. I did not really like the CGI part. Um, I felt like they should have just had, uh, specifically with Grand Moff Tarkin, I didn't feel like they did a very good job. As um, we've mentioned before, it was pretty uncanny valley. Um, And I would have much rather them just have a new actor play Grand Moff Tarkin. I know it wouldn't have been as iconic as the original Tarkin, but... I feel like we as the audience can accept the fact that it's been how many years since um, uh, episode four came out. We know that the guy is no longer available. I expected to hate it, but on second viewing, I almost forgot he was CGI. So I was pretty okay with that. I was a little more weirded out by Leia, even though she was in there for a shorter amount of time. Yeah. She also seemed pretty, I don't know, plasticky. I don't know. That's just the adjective that comes to mind right now. But yeah, Uncanny Valley, I guess, again. What about you, Matthew? Was there anything in the movie you didn't like? I did not, and this is maybe a little too general, but I didn't like the pacing right at the beginning. It felt like it was whipping back and forth between all the characters they're trying to establish in the different locales a little too much, and I was worried, like, oh, is this going to be the (laughs) pacing for the entire movie? Because that made me anxious that that was it was going to feel a little disjointed because of that, but I think it was just, they were trying to set the stuff up that they wanted so much. And then all the pacing worries were eliminated by the time you're getting to the end of the movie. So it's really a minor complaint. 
I would totally agree with that. And that's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> um, but I, I do have another one. I would say some of the the references to other movies were a little on the nose. Mm. Mm. Um, running into Dr. Vazen and Ponda Baba on Jeddah, that was probably okay. The part with C-3PO and R2-D2 seemed a little bit forced to me. Yes. Especially since it made weird continuity things that... Yeah, it did. Like, I had trouble finding thinking like how did they get on the ship they're on but i you could hand wave that away enough i guess how does how does c3po not know who leia is you know it he knew i yeah i know it's just there are it does lead to continuity issues superficially at least yeah i had one other thing that i didn't like and that was darth vader (laughs) what um specifically darth vader's costume um i don't know what it was his helmet Oh, I do know what it was. His helmet was sitting on top of his cloak and not his cloak, his cape. And it looked like a fan bought a bunch of costume pieces from different places and then put it together. And it was kind of dumpy looking. Um, it didn't, it just didn't look right. I don't know what it was, why that, why that happened. Do you guys have any thoughts? That didn't stand out to me, but I'm sure that it will bother me from now on if I actually do notice it. I'm sorry. I think overall it it's hot. I liked the movie enough that there aren't a ton of complaints for me, so that is maybe a testament to it being a very decent movie. Oh, Matthew, why don't you talk about your Halo point? I don't know if it's important enough. I would like to hear it, because... I had thought of Halo as well when I was watching it, and I wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Um, Just, I'll say then really briefly, that it's interesting that there are a number of parallels between the two stories. Like, both center around a cast of six characters. Um, Each dies contributing something to um, essentially the final goal. Mm. As the story goes on, it all boils down to handing off one specific... Uh, MacGuffin-y thing to another team entirely and the six people don't get to see the fruit of their results and then they both immediately lead into the events of the thing that they're the prequel for. It was just a lot of parallel. That is a lot of parallel. I hadn't made that many connections. So I want to say kind of as a final thought, what I liked most about this movie other than the fact that it was simply a great movie is the fact that it seemed extremely respectful of all of the other material, the other movies, the other books and shows and everything, but also it actually made the other movies better. Mm. And when I watched the force awakens in theaters last year, I remember thinking it really felt like, that movie was saying that nothing the heroes had accomplished in the original trilogy really mattered. Um, they blew up the death star, but now there's a, a bigger weapon and Han and Leia got together, but, uh, they're, they're separated now. And just, I could list so many more things, but really everything that had been accomplished in the OT was torn down. And rogue one, on the other hand, it actually made the other stuff better. It made it matter more 
than we had even really known. And that's a great point. Is there anything we'd kind of touched on before that we hadn't gotten to yet? I liked the overall feel of this movie. It felt like a kind of a clandestine war mission because that's exactly what it was. There were a couple of points when I felt like, well, on with the attack on Scarif, it felt like a World War II movie. And uh, Blue Squadron Leader made me think of the RAF, so or an RAF pilot. And so whenever his X-Wings came down, I was like, oh, the RAF are coming to support the mm. allied forces that are landing on the beach. And um, it just, it the whole movie seemed to have that feel, that that drive, that energy of just a war mission movie. So It accomplished a very hard thing, which is to tell a story about a doomed set of individuals and yet make it very hopeful. Yeah. And I know that's kind of, they hit the hope note right on the, <laughs> hope nail right on the head many times during that. And that was, I think, part of the whole reshoot process they did. But it was done very well. Like it, you got tragedy of the characters that you've gotten a chance to know for the past couple hours um all being killed or dying the way they did at the end but it never felt like there was never despair about it and i feel like especially with like some of the trends you see in um movies and tv at present there's a uh thing to make it too dark and uh make it I don't know. Like, it's hard to preserve that note of hope. That's my final thing. Yeah, and I didn't tire of the the hope note at all. We kind of need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remembered now the one thing that really worried me when this movie, when the title was first announced. When they said the title was going to be Rogue One, I remember saying the words, there is no Rogue One, because the leader is Rogue Leader. I remember you saying that. I do remember that. So I was delighted in the movie to hear the words spoken. There is no Rogue One. (laughs) Um, And we just have now, instead of a story that tramples on Rogue Squadron as we know it, now instead we have a really great origin story for where they got that title. And we can assume, I think, that Rogue Squadron, as we see it in The Empire Strikes Back is named in honor of all of these people who sacrificed themselves to bring down the Death Star. Because the Battle of Yavin, it would have been too soon to have renamed the squadron. But then by the time Empire Strikes Back rolls around, they've got this renaming in honor of those heroes. I had not made that connection, but that's really cool. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that is a neat attention to detail. Without pointing it out, too, it's not like it... I feel like I like that they're... relying on your intelligence to make those connections if you know all that stuff well are you guys ready to wrap it up yeah yep okay uh this podcast is better worlds uh we want to thank you all for listening and uh, we look forward to sharing more of these conversations with you you can find us online at betterworlds.net and on twitter at betterworldsnet goodbye what was your thought with whenever it had an uh 
long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then the next thing was not Star Wars. I had been wondering for months if there would be an opening crawl or not. So I wasn't surprised because I knew that was a real possibility. It's the first anthology film apart from the saga. So they kind of had to decide in this movie how to set the precedent. And it's kind of funny because in a lot of the other media, in comic books, in novels, in video games, you almost always have opening crawls Mm. because people just kind of assume that's how you do Star Wars. But now that we've got non-saga movies, uh, they've set this new precedent that the the crawl is for the the main saga and the anthology films don't get one. Yeah. I'm okay with that. It was really jarring. I thought it makes a neat difference. But it yeah, I I was okay with it as well right afterward. I was like, wow, this is it really kind of uh sets its independence, I guess. Uh says we are not part of that main story arc that you know. So yeah. Well, it didn't make it any less jarring that they opened with a stinger at the same time that they didn't give you a crawl. What do you mean a stinger? That music there, it goes like, bah. so it kind of makes you jump a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, you're used to jumping with Star Wars and then the, yeah. you know, the Star Wars theme, but, um, would you have still been startled if it, Oh, it wasn't like it was startling jarring. It was jarring in that it was completely different from my expectations. My, cause my brain auto filled the next piece of what it should be. Star Wars, the fading into the background with the, the horns blaring and uh, triumphantly declaring the Star Wars theme. And that, that just didn't happen. Speaking of themes, how'd you feel about this soundtrack? You know, um, there were a couple points where I noticed the music because it was kind of um, getting into some of the OT music that I'd heard. It was, I guess, riffing on that. Um, right. They used it especially kind of to point out when they did references, like when they when they showed R2 and 3PO, for yeah. instance. But overall, I... I would not be able to sing any of the music to you. And that might just be because I'm not familiar with it yet. Um, okay. Yeah. And that, that was a good song that, and I think you mentioned before, it's kind of a hopeful, uplifting tune. Um, yeah. Which fits in perfectly with the theme of hope. Um, so I liked that. It just wasn't, it didn't stand out to me as much as some of the other music has. It wasn't bad music. I just couldn't remember it. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's got some stiff competition if you're comparing to other stuff from Star Wars. Oh, absolutely. Imperial March. The Star Wars films as a body of work, John Williams has just done such incredible things with that. Was it still John Williams on this movie uh, no it was not it was somebody else <laughs> yeah and that's that's big shoes to fill you know yeah and the guy wrote the soundtrack in four and a half weeks really yeah they changed the composer pretty close to the release <laughs> or closer than they would have liked talk about pressure yeah and john williams had even done the force awakens as well but right. that said 
I think that the that main theme I would have loved to have heard it more in this movie. In the Imperial Suite was really well done as well. I think because it gave the feel you needed for the Empire without stealing Vader's theme. Mm-hmm. So again, respecting the other material. But then when I think about The Force Awakens, the only piece from that that I really like is Ray's theme. And yes, I don't know if I even really like it that much as a theme. It has kind of an intrigue. It, it intrigues me a little bit, but I don't know how they're going to use it as a theme in the other movies. And I'm sure I'll be pleasantly surprised, but right that and then Revenge of the Sith beforehand, none of the music really stands out to me all that much. So I think that that main theme from Rogue One is actually the best theme we've had in a Star Wars movie since Across the Stars and Attack of the Clones. I don't know what song that is. I don't remember the tune off the top of my head, but I'll have to look it up sometime. But yeah, I mean, I I just hated Attack of the Clones so much that I've <laughs> blocked most of that movie from my. Well, I haven't blocked it from my memory. I wish I could, but the only thing that really bugs me about Attack of the Clones is the the creepy laughter. If you really, really want to hate that movie, just notice, watch through it, and notice every time somebody laughs. There's a lot of surprisingly creepy forced laughter in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I'm going to be watching it anytime soon. But if I do, I will I will look for the creepy laughter. I did notice chips flying off of the stormtroopers' helmets when sure it was beating them up. That was pretty cool. <laughs> 